The function of leadership is to produce more leaders, not more followers. Leaders of Men. G'day and welcome to Leaders of Men. I'm your host, Nick Warner. In a society that yearns for legitimate male role models, I speak to men that are forging the pathway to a healthy, integrated masculinity. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking to the man, the legend, Rainier Wilde. He's an experienced teacher, writer, and speaker, and has embraced life for all that it is. He has celebrated its highs and learned from its lows. He has managed a Fortune 500 company and built businesses, and he has also elegantly blown them up and burned them down and started over from scratch. He holds a master's degree in psychology and has spent countless hours working with men and women in navigating the human soul. Through the various positions he has held, he has discovered that life must be claimed to hold any worth. His work is to inspire others to live fully and deeply in the here and now. I hope you enjoy. And welcome to Leaders of Men, Renee Wild. How are you, sir? Doing good. It's good to be here with you, Nick. Fantastic. Thanks for joining me, mate. Um, very much looking forward to this. What does masculinity mean to you? masculinity to me is a spiritual arc it's one of the two i think fundamental archetypes that are built into almost everything humans do our behavior our thoughts our occupations you you name it the feminine and the masculine are these two very interesting niches that traditional cultures have recognized and discovered and masculinity within that represents a kind of way of being in the world that is focused, assertive, active, aggressive. It's this principle of directionality, of leadership, of discipline. It inherently is the, the part of this binary, the masculine and feminine, that is active in nature. It has a direction. And so when I say I'm operating in the masculine, this energy or this archetype that I live by that's coming through is one that is those things. It's focus. Uh, it's non-state dependent, meaning I, I'm not just spinning from, from experience to experience. I am constant. I'm unwavering. These would all be thoughts I would associate with the masculine. And of course, one of the primary um, one of the primary examples that we see that play out is gender. Actually, so a lot of cultures have have said, "Oh, males are like this," right? And that's an analogy, right? We would also say the sun is like that; it's constant; it rises every day. Now, masculinity is not the sun, just like masculinity is not maleness, right? But it's an analogy. And so as I understand masculinity, it can be both in men and women. We see that exemplified. We see that exemplified uh, in many different ways, but it is that principle by which you may operate that is those things. Yeah. Just, um, just in regards to the sun, because there's a lot of cultures where there are certain elements that are masculine and certain elements that are feminine. Um, in regards to moving constantly, as does the moon, 
yet the moon can be considered feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you how would you differentiate something like that in nature? Yeah, well, I think that those same principles, the masculine and the feminine, are are found as niches all throughout nature, right? You can even see them in plants, right? Like even in plants, there's a a masculine and a feminine component, a male and a female component in those examples. I mean, the universe is rather obsessed with these niches. When I look at plants, you know, it's so interesting that the male component of the plant is risk-taking, it sows its seed widely, right? And, And the female part is very cautious, right? She, she doesn't actually have a lot of time to waste, right? She, she, she will take only select suitors, so to speak. And so we find that principle in plants, which is, you know, so removed from us as a species so that we can know that this is something the universe is very interested in, that this niche of the masculine and feminine, you know, we see it in, in male behavior in animals, particularly in mammals. We see assertiveness, we see dominance even at times. We see hierarchy patterns. This is things I also attach to, to the masculine principle. And we see that in us. Yeah. yeah. Within like something such as the sun and the moon, you know, the moon is not necessarily considered feminine from my perspective because it's inconstant. The moon is constant, just like the sun. But rather, uh, I suspect that traditional cultures, now we're talking 10,000 plus years ago, maybe even upwards of 350,000 years ago as Homo sapiens sapiens kind of wandered the planet. I think that they were obsessed with the phenomenon that I think a lot of us men are also kind of obsessed with when we have partners who uh, their bleed, their time of the month is associated with a full moon. And we go, wait, wait, how are you and the moon synced up here? And, and how is it that your uh, time of the month seems to also correlate with that object out there? I mean, I think that traditional cultures found their females incredibly um, <laughs> awe-inspiring and terrifying for that reason. How could you be so associated? In fact, we know the ancient primitive cultures would sometimes utilize women's cycles to determine their hunt, when, when they would go and hunt, when they would go to war, um, because it was so co-regulated with the lunar cycles. So this is really fascinating stuff. I think that's why it's associated with the feminine. Constancy in the sun is often associated with the masculine. Hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. If you had a 12-year-old son, what's the most significant thing he needs to know? So I have a 16-year-old son and a 14-year-old son and a 8-year-old son. So not 12, but I I have those ages. There's such a tension. There is such a tension for boys. And I think particularly as I observe my sons, that there is this really soft, tender, gentle part of them. So I think I would look at one of my sons and I would say words that were spoken to me when I was young, don't get bitter. Don't get bitter. The world is going to hammer you. The world is so hard. Sometimes the world will break you 
break your back. Gravity will grind you down. Don't get bitter. Don't lose that soft and tender and delicate part of you that, that um, wants to open to the world. That's beautiful. So beautiful. On the other hand, don't be afraid to meet the world on its own terms. Mm. Right? The world is hard. You be hard too. Hit it back. Uh, and so there's this balance, right? There's this beautiful balance in which we can leave nothing out. So I would, I would say perhaps rather obviously, live, live fully. Don't live life with one hand tied behind your back. Don't be defined by just one way, right? Swing with both arms, be tender and also be tough, right? Uh, I used to grow up on the, the Disney TV show, DuckTales. <laughs> Such a silly old show, but Scrooge McDuck had a motto. And I always thought it was a really funny little motto. He said, smarter than the smarties, tougher than the toughies. And I like that. And I would also add, you know, tender. <laughs> Be also mm. tender. It's fascinating that... Um... Out of all the men I've asked that question, you're the only one that's actually had a 12-year-old son. And the responses to, to the question are almost a little bit more idealistic from those that don't have one. And then a little bit just more grounded and realistic in the fact that, okay, this is what I've experienced and this is what they need. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a fascinating response. What's your deepest desire? What's my deepest desire? What is your deepest desire? What a good question. <laughs> oh. I think if I'm honest, Nick, it's to be held. to be held in an infinite gaze, to be held in arms wider than my own, to be held with affection and care. You know, I'm a six foot four, 240 pound gorilla. I'm a Taurus and I'm built a bit like a bull. And there's some moments when more than anything, I think I just want to collapse into the arms of infinite care. Yeah. That we all. I think so. It's nice that uh, it's nice that you can own that. Yeah. Uh, I haven't always owned it, right? And. I, you know, you ask about sons a moment ago, and I know this is a little off topic, but the story occurs to me because it reveals a part of my own heart, as well as a story about young men. My son, I think, was 12 at the time, and my second oldest, and he was having a hard day, and you got to understand, he's tough already. Boy, he's tough. Life has shaped him to be armored, and uh, I, you know, he doesn't suffer fools and he can be hard. And one day he was arguing with his mom and his name is Judah and they're arguing back and forth. And he says something 
pretty disrespectful. Something hard, something harsh, something armored. And she stops and she pauses and she says, Judah. And then with tenderness, drops her voice even quieter and says, Judah. And then she gets even quieter and she says, Judah. And he falls to his knees and he starts sobbing. And she kneels beside him and she cradles him. This boy who is now already taller than her at 12. Mm -hmm. And she cradles him. I think that reveals a bit of the struggle and the desire of men, my own desire too, that in the midst of this harshness and this toughness and this hardness, that there are moments that will drop you mm. and to be held in those moments. Yeah. Mm. That reminds me of this image where there's the, the, the drawing is of, of a guy's face and he's very angry and then it takes back a layer in the next image when he's a little bit softer and then the next image that takes it off and he's sad and the next image they take off his face and it's like a little boy crying inside. Yeah. And uh, that's it. Yeah. Powerful chairman. Thank you. What's an uncomfortable truth about you? Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, I failed quite a bit in life. Um, I have failed businesses. I have failed marriages, I have failed relationships. I have failed careers. I have failed friendships. And not just because they were shit people, but because of my own inconsistencies. Because at times in my life, I've lived like a character in someone else's bad novel. <laughs> because I couldn't keep my agreements. Yeah because I was someone who didn't essentially know how to hold that masculine space that we were talking about a few minutes ago, that space of constancy, that space of owning my own desires, that space of assertiveness and activeness and integrity. And because I couldn't own those spaces, because I hadn't integrated my shadow, I over and over and over repeated patterns that let people down, that let myself down, that were addicted cycles, addicted, right? Despairing and destructive. I did that rather routinely. Um, you know, these days, it seems like I'll, I'll get like fan mail, which is so weird. People are like, oh my God, what you say is so great, these stories. And uh, I think, are you listening? Are you really listening? Because what you're hearing is just the scope of life. Like, I'm not a good guy. I'm just someone who's watched my life, who's lived it, and am sharing it, especially the failures, so that hopefully I'm not the only one who's learning here, but we can collectively kind of learn too. But that's really an uncomfortable truth for me. It is, because I like to be thought well of, right? I really do. I like that family. I like people being, oh, my God, right? That, that feels real nice. And it's also not the truth. Like that's only a part. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of the the shadow of social media where we see the beauty of everybody and we project our own beauty onto them. It's like, well, they reflect it back to us. And but there's so much that is unseen and unshared. That's it. 
Yeah. And I, I like the part that's seen. I'm gratified by it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I have to keep on reminding people and myself, Hey, the only reason why you should ever listen to me is I'm someone who's lived and I've lived with a hand in each pocket. Mm. Yeah. What's your most profound pain in this moment? I regret hurting people in my past out of those places that we've just talked about. I really do. And I have a, a laundry list of faces and names in my mind that I, I think, God, I affected them. I affected them. Uh, my choices, my choice to become a character, my choice to become a solid self, my choice to, to individuate over time, it affected them. You know, sometimes I think about like uh, the, the real greats in, in life, like the Buddha, who, you know, he, he leaves. And, and who does he leave? Well, he leaves his wife. He leaves his children. And he becomes the Buddha. And aren't we happy he did? You know who probably wasn't happy? You know, little Bobby. You know, like Bobby Buddha probably wasn't that, that happy with dad. And I wonder, did he ever look back on that and think, God, sure, I'm sorry how that affected him. Right? Because I know I am. I think to myself, I made a lot of maybe good choices for me. <laughs> maybe not always good choices but it affected people. It hurt them. And sometimes, sometimes I'll wake up in the morning with that splinter in my eye. It hurts. Yeah. I'd take their pain away if I could. To be honest, mate, I don't think I've ever thought about the abandonment issues of little Bobby Buddha. Really <laughs> 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 What are, you most, <laughs> what are you most afraid of? Being alone. Truly alone. Not just alone, but incapable of getting out of that aloneness. I have like this image in my mind of being in a, in a flat, an apartment. And on the other side of that apartment is like a small family who are blaring bad music and smoking a copious amount of pot it's like all sifting through the walls and uh, I have no lawn you know no yard and I look out from my window and it's like gray and nobody's visiting me I'm alone I'm truly alone and I don't have a creative thought in my head I can't think my way out of I can't uh, experience anything different. I'm stuck. I'm trapped. That, that scares me, right? That kind of aloneness in the end. And I'll be honest, the reason why that, that is, a, is a vivid picture is because I've actually allowed my mind to go there, like all the way in, to, to inhabit that body all the way in. And I've had to accept it. Like that is actually one path. 
that's that's one potential future a life where no one's on the other end of the phone Hmm. Um, i think it's only until you stare down those fears you'll be controlled by them so most of my fears i actually know by name but that one that one hurts i think it's quite a quite a healthy thing like quite stoic to just to meditate on the possibility of losing everything and if you don't confront that you'll be ruled by it i think when was the last time you were out of integrity (laughs) trying to think like by the minute here um you know, yesterday, my partner and I were taking a walk, and um, I had this communication with a person, and I shared half of it. I shared half of it. My partner and I try and practice radical honesty uh, with one another. And, and by the way, what that means for us is that we you know, I've shared the scope of my fantasies. I've shared the scope of my experiences. I've shared the scope of, of uh, my hopes, my dreams. The inner recesses of my mind are not a mystery to her at this point. And so we, we really try and stay up to the event horizon of the moment uh, in our communication to each other. And it's not always easy, but you know when you're out of integrity very, very quickly. And um, we were on this walk and I shared this like half thing. Mm-hmm. And the moment goes on, we're like, we're talking and she's talking about something totally different. And I interrupt her. I say, hey, I, I gotta go back. We, there was that thing. And I gotta tell you, here's what actually happened all the way. And here's what I thought about it. And here's what I felt about it. Uh, to bring me back into that alignment. Because honestly, you know, I remember being like a six-year-old boy and lying to my mom and I felt horrible. I felt so guilty. And I remember telling my mom that. And she said to me something very interesting. She said, that's how you should feel when you tell a lie. And if you tell too many lies, you'll stop feeling that way. You'll get used to it. I got to tell you, for a lot of life, I stopped feeling guilty because I was really out of integrity. And coming back to that place of radical honesty, you start to feel it again. You start to know when the needle is too far this way or that way. So just yesterday, and I had to really bring myself back. I love that you mentioned that because I had something similar with my partner when she asked me a question and my my instant response from a, from a place of fear was a lie. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm like, are you fucking kidding? You know you're not going to be able to carry that. And a week went by, two weeks went by, and I ended up in a ceremony. And I had carried this for like two weeks, this story of like, you piece of shit. You are so out of integrity with that. And for like six hours in ceremony, I was just in hell because of this little piece that what I, in reality, should have kind of done 
was as soon as he came out of my mouth, exactly what you've done. Say, hang on a second. No, no, fuck. Let's go back. That's actually not that. This is what I was meant to have said. Um, but that's it's a practice. It's like how quickly can you catch yourself out and then own up to it and own up to dropping that ball of integrity. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so scary, right? I mean, it really is. No matter how much integrity you built up, when you're in the moment, like the reflex is just, you know, like we're so reflexive in our lying. Mm-hmm. And and especially when we're not actively lying, we're, we're passively lying, like we're just withholding or, mm-hmm. or just, you know, not sharing the whole thing. Um, it's very easy to do. And, but I think what we do, my experience is by creating those withholdings or those, you know, deviations or manipulations of truth, we create like little vaults inside of our experience that then, you know, life keeps on building on top of, but it's built on top of a hollow space. Mm. And then when something comes along, that's really like, you know, like, oh God, I, I meet that person who's really sexy and vivacious and amazing. Well, I, I know where to put that. I can just put that in the vault that already exists because I tell lies. That's what I do, right? And so by closing the vault once and for all, boy, it's a lot harder to put those things someplace. You mm. you really find it. it's easier to tell the truth by closing the vaults. Less to remember when you tell the truth. Oh, yeah, <laughs> a lot less. What is it you were creating? Hmm. I think what I'm passionate about creating in this world is possibility and the possibility to live as a self in the here and now. And I do that with individuals and I do that with groups of men. But if I'm really honest, it doesn't matter the method. What I'm passionate about creating in the real time is an opening. Victor Frankl talks about the gap between the stimulus and the response. And I think I'm someone who lives to widen the gap. You know, if you think about it, by the time most of us hit our 30s and 40s, it's profoundly difficult to imagine having real choices. Right? We've got genetic coding, conditioning, circumstances, our parents' choices, uh, the consequences of their choices, our choices, the consequences of our choices, right? All these things building up like a, a, a mountain just snowballing down onto us until, you know, you're standing wondering what you're going to get for dinner. And it's just, it, it's miraculous if you can even make a decision, right? <laughs> you know, and I think most of us are profoundly paralyzed. We've atrophied in our ability to have free will. It's not that we don't have free will. It's just that if it exists, it's atrophied. And so if, if what I'm creating is quite simply just that gap, for you, for, for others, for myself, for humanity, that ability, that opening, that clearing to make a choice, to make a decision, to choose how to live in this moment. And then it might be a surprise. You know, one of the things I'm most delighted in is surprises because there's so few of them, really. And so 
when you do something surprising, when someone else does something surprising, when you make a different choice, you were this way and, and now you're actually making a different choice. God, I live from that. So that's what I'm doing in the world. What would you like to be known for? <sighs> I've thought of that too. Um, I think I would like to be known for leaving people with an exceptional quality of having been alive when they were with me. That the aftermath of being around me, the consequence of being around me was a profound sense of possibility and aliveness. That there was like a quality of more freedom to be that simply happens when you're around me just a little. Like you may not like me, you, you, you may not feel safe around me. You may not love me or feel loved by me, but that you'll feel like you have fewer chains in your life after you hang out with me very long, right? That you have a freedom to be. You know, I, I hear some people talk about like, they, they live to create safety for people or they live to make people feel, feel loved. And I think that's, that is so great. I'm so happy those people exist in the world. I want that for people. That's not the aftermath of being with me. The aftermath of being with me is that you'll feel free. What would you love for men to know with every fiber of their being? That they can make a choice. That they can be a self. They can, and that they're not, right? that they've got a thousand voices going on right now and none of them are theirs. Mm -hmm. And that if they can distill life into a single small moment, this next moment and live this next moment well, that is the totality of living. Yeah. To live in what Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins called the resolute urgency of now. I think those are good words. And that it's possible. Fantastic, brother. If you, uh, if you, that, that's the 10 questions. Super beautiful responses. Uh, if you just want to share what you've got on offer, what you've got going on, and where to find you. Um, I have a book that's coming out very soon. Currently, it's called Meditations. Uh, I'm very excited about it. It's a beautiful visual and written medium, um, giving a lot of my insights on selfing, the art of developing a self and relating, being in relationship to others. I'm very excited about that and can't wait to share that with the world. Uh, I'm also just really excited about the ongoing opportunity for men that you, you participated in called The Rope. Um, which is truly an experience that I think if it does anything, it creates possibility in someone's life. It creates that ability to live in the next moment well. And then I, 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 I do work with a small handful of women and men who, who want to advance that in their life. Often they're healers and helpers, people who are trying to make an intentional impact in the world. And I would say if people are called to to that, to that sense of moreness, 
that sense of, of knowing that they're being called and invited into something more and they want help doing that. They want someone in their corner who, who knows the human soul and will help them do the work by doing the work themselves. Yeah, reach out to me. Fantastic, brother. I very much appreciate your time and you being a part of this. Man, I love your questions. Seriously, I, I love the whole thing and I'm just so grateful that you exist. Thanks, Nick. Thank you, man.